0: Wow. Chris Lynn has taken the wild thing and well sent seen. him possibly under the roof. Look at the look on his face.
1: Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle.
0: Hello
2: and welcome to another week of the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast, powered by the Inner Sanctum. It's fantastic to be back here for another week joining us, as always, to talk the world of cricket. Well, he didn't join us last week. He was busy. Well, I, I was going to say, I want to say he was bowling well, but I don't think he was and we will get to that later in the
0: show. Will Coxon how are you doing? I've recovered from the, from the pretty <laughs> bad spell of bowling, so I'm doing pretty well today. Thanks, Jono. Good to be here. <laughs>
2: It's great to have you back and joining us all the way from Birmingham in the UK to talk about what's been a pretty eventful few weeks for England cricket. It's Emily Marshall joining us again. Emily, great to have you back.
1: Thank you for having me back. must have done okay on a debut to get us back, but no, great to be back.
2: Nah, it's great to have you back and to dissect everything that's gone on. There's been India, England wrapping up in, well, a matter of days. they managed to cram two test matches into one. We've got cricket going on across the ditch. The women are in action on both sides of the coin. I'm sorry, what all of the regular nonsense. And we're also going to have a bit of a reflection on the T20 World Cup, which was one year ago this week, which was pretty pretty special. Um, but of course we are going to start in the subcontinent where India, well, they've completed a pretty resounding test series victory over England. It's been pretty clinical since that first test match in Chennai and well, it was a bit of a weird series but Emily we'll start with you, you're on the ground in the UK. How's the reaction been over there? Has it been sort of, yeah, we expected to lose to India at home or is there a bit more of a disappointment considering how well England performed in that first test?
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, actually. Um, As an England fan, I, I really didn't expect them to go and win over in the subcontinent. It's so difficult and... I think it takes a very special team and a very solid team to go and do it. And I just don't really think we had it. But like you said as well, after we came out and won the first test brilliantly, then there was, they almost injected that belief in us and then took it away again very, very quickly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it was a bit of both. I, I never really expected them to go and win. Um, I thought they'd win maybe a test or they'd draw a test. Then two would be drawn India, would, would win two. I didn't expect the three one and in the fashion that it did happen. Um, but yeah, I was also disappointed after the way that they went out and played the first test that they, they crumbled in the way they did in the last three.
2: It's a bit of a weird series, Will, when you've got Joe Root he takes more wickets than Jasper Brumra and Ravi Chandran Ashwin and Ro- Washington Sundar make more
0: runs than Virat Kohli over the course of the entire series. It's very bizarre, to be honest, yeah. And, but ha- considering, as you said, before the last two tests were condensed into into one basically because I went for five days five days combined it kind of kind of puts a nice cherry on the top of top of the witness I guess um, and yeah just about England at the start of the series it almost feels like um, feels similar to the, the series when India were out in Australia um, this summer just gone the big resounding win um, in the first test and it kind of just trailed off after that didn't it well it Really is interesting. And the two
2: test, test series, they obviously they've got a number of similarities, but all a fair few differences. And to me, just by watching that fourth test match, and especially while Rishabh Pant was batting, and we will talk a little bit more about Rishabh and what he did and his growth as a test cricketer over the last couple of months it seems it almost looked as if England well they threw in the white towel by the end of it and I was like uh, well it was almost like yeah let's just get this bit over and done with so our test match players can go home and have a rest
1: they'd obviously done this like weird rotation thing that I'm sure we'll talk about earlier so I, I, I do agree with you I think there was an element of oh well this is clearly not going to go our way can we just get this over and done with Uh, But then a part of me is wanting to think hopefully that they weren't like that. Hopefully they'd still put up a fight, but Pant just took the game away from them. So I think by the end of it, they were like, I'm so sick of this. Some of them have been been on the road more in the last six months and they've been at home by quite a considerable amount of time. Um, So I think it was an element of that, uh, but I don't want to think that, but unfortunately I do. Uh, But it was just a hard tour. um, In the end, Indy were just so, so good. We were outplayed on every level in every part of the field, um, but in the end of the tour. So it was difficult to watch them be like that as a fan. Uh, but yeah, I think there was an element of that, definitely.
2: You touched on it before, and we will, I'm sure it will be a theme And as we keep on talking about this test series, but the idea of being forced into breaks, and I know everything's still hard with bubbles and COVID and playing, well, some games behind closed doors, some not. But just the thought that, the squad's always changing because some players are being sent home and some players are being flown into the squad. Does that, how does that affect the team in terms of the continuity and knowing who's going to be around to perform their role on any given day? Because it looked as if England, I can't remember how many tests they went in with the same or a similar 11 and it must've disrupted everyone and everything, particularly the captain, Joe Root, knowing that he had a different set of players at his disposal every single time.
1: Yeah, it's difficult. And it it might have worked for some players, but it it definitely didn't work for some. So you see Johnny Birstow, he went into, he got um, hundreds in Sri Lanka, went into India in, in great form, went home, came back and got, I think it was four ducks, so three ducks. So like, it obviously didn't work for him and going home to have that break might have been good for him mentally but in the same sense he was told that he was going home he wasn't given an option to go home so if you're going to force them into going home but then it's going to come back and bite them then it's like counterproductive anyway so like I said going into the same going into the test with such a change in squad is not good like that's not what you want the idea is at home especially you pay 6-5 tests with the same 11 and hopefully you don't get injuries. Maybe depend on pitch, you need to change one or two players. But the idea is that you shouldn't be chopping and changing your batting order the whole time. You're bowling all the time. And like you said for Joe Root, like that's that's going to be difficult. He's a captain under a lot of pressure in the subcontinent. You don't want to be having to change change the way you think, adapt to new batsmen, new bowlers. So yeah, it is difficult and it might have worked for some players. But for example, like I said, Johnny, it, it really didn't work for him. He came back in horrendous form and he's a he's a player as well that he really could have done with that not happening because his treatment in the test side hasn't been great it's, it's very vicious cycle with him he's been thrown around the bat in order as it is um to then be told you're going home for a break and then to come back um and not being in great form is really not good I think that's probably going to do his mental health worse than if he'd have just stayed in the bubble um and carried on the form because I think he'll now be thinking, well, if I didn't go home and I just carried on, I might still have. Because he'll definitely be questioning whether he still has a place in that side. So he'll now be going home thinking, oh, well, I've just lost my test match place or for having a week and a half at home. So it, it, it's difficult. And I think I said before that um, I think it should be they should be asked. Oh, do you want to go home? Are you ready to go home? And if they say, no, I'm ready to stay, then they should just stay. And if they go, actually, no, I am I want some time at home, then that's their decision to make. I don't think this rotation thing is really going to work.
2: The treatment of the right arm spinner Don Bess has gotten a little bit of airtime. was played so well in that first test in Chennai. And then, wasn't seen again um until the fourth test where he got um well let's say he didn't he didn't bowl well in India's first innings when they batted picked up a couple of scalps later along the way. The criticism will come the English selectors way and the English coaching staff's way. And just about the furor about that. I I, I honestly think that England thought that they were picking their best team for every match situation as well so okay yeah they misread the pitch a couple of times in Chennai and then I'm the and I'm the butters in that in that day night test match as well they definitely misread everything but the way that they I think it's important now particularly for the England team management to look after someone like Bess, who's still a young guy finding his way in test match cricket and who knows maybe it's him and Jack Leach who are on the plane to Australia in nine months time for the Ashes series that is just going to be nurtured through the home summer where he probably won't play every game and there's a lot of cricket to be played for England between now and then and he will get forced rest as well and he'll also have to play and earn his stripes for Somerset as well so it's going to be interesting to see how they manage everything.
0: They really sort of sacrificed the the continuity of the team for for just trying to mix it up and make sure the players were fresh. And um, Dom Bess obviously um, had the had the big break in between the tests, but um Moeen Ali Le as well um, from the second test. I think that was a pre planned thing for him to go home um, after that match. But um, again, it's it's almost to the detriment of the the team and the potential for success that he that he went home after performing so well.
2: So let's yeah. talk about the winners, shall we, as well? India, well, they had some quite scintillating individual performers. Um, the spinners really set it up. them. Um, Ashwin and Akshar Patel, their numbers across this test series are absolutely ridiculous. And especially if you consider that Akshar Patel didn't play in the first test match, the two of them combined, they took 59 wickets between them, which is absolutely astonishing for the 80 England wickets that were available over the course of this series. It's staggering numbers for two, for two spinners. One of them, a real master of their craft and one of them and the other who's well, is just really finding his way and finding his feet in test match cricket and is just making it look easy.
0: I think, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty frightening to think that um, if, if uh, Ravindra Jadeja was fit, um, that Patel probably wouldn't have played um, those games. So just that's um, really sort of frightening of, to see the depth that, um, that the India side has. But, yeah, obviously pretty insane numbers for Patel as well. 27 wickets of those 59 and coming at an average of uh, 10, an economy of 2.2 2 as well. So, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy stuff.
2: Emily, we mentioned him before, um, Rishabh Pant. We will and Will and I had a front row seat to watch him do some astonishing things to us down here in Australia in our summer. You saw Rishab, we saw Rishab do a couple of crazy things. He ripped Jack Leach apart in Chennai, and then his hundred just now in the fourth test, um, particularly with that ridiculous reverse sweep of Jimmy Anderson. He's, it must have been amazing to watch, but at the same time, it was like, what are you doing, mate?
1: it it was soul crushing but yeah no it was i felt like i was watching one of cricket's most exciting talents actually like come into their own um alongside axar patel as well um like you said you had a front row seat i wasn't there or anything like that but i did feel that i was witnessing something quite special in his career he just he just played incredibly he took the game away from england and he just had to play that shot against Jimmy and he just had so much confidence and that's what you want to see. And he's definitely rivaling rivaling some of the best for the best wicketkeeper batsman in the world right now. He's definitely the most exciting one out there to watch.
2: He certainly is, and particularly down here, he's drawn comparisons to with the great Adam Gilchrist and Rishabh now sits alongside Adam Gilchrist as the only wicketkeeper batsman to make hundreds in India, Australia and England. So it's quite amazing to see his development as a cricketer over the past um, over the past four months or so, and it's quite amazing, Will, when you consider that he wasn't even in the playing eleven for that first Test match in Adelaide. It's been quite astonishing. And another play that India sort of found and just added to their depth. We mentioned him before, but Washington Sundar. He was picked originally as a left as a spinner. But he's probably influenced the series a lot more with the bat being stranded a couple of times in the 80s and 90s. There's this real juggle for spots now because as much as Washington probably didn't even think he was close to test match cricket when he flew out to Australia was asked to stay on as part of the spare parts that they definitely needed. And now is proving to be a pretty hard member of that playing 11 to dislodge, especially when you've got the likes of Jadeja coming back. Boomer will certainly play in that world test championship final in England. And you've also got the likes of Ishan Sharma, Muhammad Siraj and Muhammad Shami, who will also probably be fit by then. So you're going to have a hard time fitting about 20 something players into 11.
0: Yeah. It's um, as I said before, just a really um, stark reminder of the depth that they've, They've got India and um, it's, yeah, it's just pretty, pretty um, scary, isn't it? Yeah, very, very scary. Um, but another thing is just um, it's pretty uh, cool just to see Sundar was almost, as you said, just like a the, the spare parts to the squad. Um, but I remember the discussion um, in during the Australian summer that um, he was predominantly a white ball player before that. But this is almost probably encouraged him to get get into first class cricket again. But um. But yeah, the, you, we've seen now that the the depth that um India has is just really astonishing and um, they'll be very well, uh, well set for the World Test Championship final. So we
2: look forward to the white ball stuff, which is coming up over the next couple of weeks, the path forward for, well, it's really interesting, England, they've got the white ball series, then the IPL players will go off and then there's a massive home summer and particularly in an ashes here we've spoken about this a couple of times is the different parts ahead where england have a stack of cricket and rest and rotation where australia have next to nothing going on and it comes up to line and we come back to this rest and rotation policy that do we think it might actually end up working against them well early evidence says it kind of is but You don't actually know until you get to the end game, which for them would be regaining the Ashes in Australia.
1: I think the thing is there's a very real prospect in summer now that, fingers crossed, players won't have to bubble. So that'll be a big thing. If they can go home in between... um, every night of a test match if they're they're close to their home or if they can go home in between tests then there'll be a real thing that maybe why do we need a rotation policy because it's not actually protecting mental health which is why they did it in the first place because if they can go home then the the bubble issue that they originally came out for is actually no longer there Um, I get the players' um, fitness and physicality maybe a rotation policy there but we've managed before so I'm not really sure why we need it now. Um, the only players that I would suggest that need to be rotated in that side come the Ashes would be Jimmy, um, maybe Broadie, depending on how it goes this summer. Just because Jimmy's getting old now, there's, there's no denying that that his hey, body hey, can't do he, what he's
2: aging used like to do. a fine bottle of wine, Jimmy well, Anderson.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he just his just body can't do what it used to do. Like it can't play five five day Test matches in a row, um, and he'll be the first to admit that. So, I think. It'll be difficult, but I hope. I just hope in summer that it's just looked at with a bit more logic. That if you don't need to be rotated, then why are you being rotated? Because I think it is going to be detrimental. Come the ashes, definitely. I
0: think um, the the India series probably almost served as a, a bit of a test for that um, kind of theory as well. So I think they've they've seen definitely the downsides just in terms of. Um, kind of retaining the team balance and um, and keeping the players in form as well but um, I think they'll be well prepared um, come the Australian summer to to know how they're going to tackle it
2: so we'll move on talking about this but the other important thing to note here is that with that India they cement themselves in that world test championship final at Lord's or it might actually be the Rose Bowl I think they've moved it down to the Rose Bowl in Southampton to help with COVID or you know maybe it's just India doing what India do and they want to play at the Rose Bowl instead of Lords. But we remain to be seen. As we move on across the ditch, the completion of the Australia versus New Zealand T20 series, it all came to an end on Sunday morning with, well, Australia, to their credit, fought back and made a series of it. But back in front of their home crowd, New Zealand got the job done and were, well, it has to be said. Well, they were too good in the end.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think New Zealand obviously played played well enough to uh, in the first two games alone to suggest they were the better side for the series. But um, yeah, it was it was really good to see Australia bounce back um, in the fashion they did um, and without the crowds. So there you go. There's a, a bit of a talking point to come from that. But um, but yeah, I think there is a few few sort of questions um, coming from the series for both sides. But um, yeah, it was good to good to see a pretty entertaining T20 series.
2: We'll we'll get into all the positives and negatives as well. Emily, did you watch much of this one?
1: Um, I watched a bit of the first game, but I didn't watch any of the others. I'm very sorry to say. <laughs> the time just the time zones just don't really work. It's bad enough getting up at three am to watch England in, in India. I can't do Australia as well.
2: <laughs> well, if you're getting up at three am to watch England and India, particularly over the last few weeks, or you deserve a medal um, <laughs> because that, that that would have been um pretty horrific, but. Aaron Aaron Finch, um, everyone's favourite Australian cricketer, he kept the Wolves at bay, he got a couple of scores and actually batted quite nicely in the game three and game four there in Wellington. Two very, very different innings, Will. Um, But it's safe to say that he's, he's, he's got his job secured, that's been confirmed by George Bailey and the selectors. It's now a matter of people were right to question him, but is he is two knocks over fifty enough?
0: I think um, it's it's been a, a talking point that's probably been done to death a little bit in, in the past few weeks. He he bounced back ahead of the of the twenty nineteen World Cup and he's um, he's bounced back again in a pretty pretty emphatic fashion, I'd say now as well. Um, but I think I think with. Uh, with some T20s leading up to the to the World Cup at the end of the year, I think he will have have ample time to try and prepare himself for for that um, that series. But yeah, it was um in the meantime, it was good to see him back in form.
2: And T20 is such a fickle game anyway. He was well, he should, probably probably should have been out the first ball of the first ball he faced in game three. But anyway, he got, went on to make runs. Australia well, they found a couple of players for the. During this series, we finally saw Josh Philippe make his debut. We finally saw Riley Meredith make his long-awaited debut, the young Tasmanian tearaway. They're definitely positives for this Australian side, and I'm sure they'll both feature prominently when it comes to picking that T20 World Cup squad in India later in
0: the year. I think it's I think it's great to have some fresh faces um, in the side, and I think I mean, they've both been around the squad before, but I as well. I think this was a great series to kind of to kind of blood them a bit of a bit of a fun T twenty series at the end of at the end of the summer. Um and we saw Philippi. He's is pretty damaging at the top of the order, pretty creative as well as a batsman. Um probably one of my favourite to watch when he's up and about actually. Um and yeah, got a couple of couple of forties um and his his keeping ability as well. Maybe that nets him a, a bit more of a secure place in the squad come the World Cup. Um but, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works. And um, obviously Meredith as well, a bit of a standout in his first game with a couple of wickets and um, bowling pretty quick as well. So he's, um, he's definitely an exciting prospect as Shane Warren keeps saying.
2: Yeah. Shane Warren loves his love children, Riley Meredith, Marcus Stoinis, Mitchell Swepson, Darcy, R- <laughs> Darcy Short, just keep rattling them off. They're all going to play a hundred test matches according to him. Um, but Looking ahead now for Australia to the World Cup, obviously David Warner will come back into that that side. Steve Smith will come back into that side. Pat Cummins as well will also be in that side. But in terms of constructing the batting order, Will, we've obvi- we've seen enough from Philippi to suggest that is going to be in and around the mark. How how do you think the rest of that batting order shapes up as we count down towards India?
0: It's it's yeah, it's an interesting debate. Um, I think and. Um, there's a lot of a lot of options to work with, which is which is always good. But um, one thing I think um, Australia probably didn't do well enough um, during this series was have a have a finishing batsman sort of a bit bit lower down the order. Um, I think I think it'll be it'll be handy with Steve Smith coming back um, to to push Glenn Maxwell down the order a little bit. And I know. Um, I know he batted four in this series and batted four for the Melbourne stars um, in the big bash, but I think having Maxie a bit lower down the order is, is pretty handy as well. So I'd, I'd be having, um, having Finch and Warner opening up top, obviously with, um, with Philippe at three, probably Smith, Smith at four, Maxwell at five. I think Stoinis, Marcus Stoinis probably squeezes in at six. And then I'll, i go a bit of a bit of a, maybe an outlandish pick depends on, depends on what you think, but um. Dan Christian at seven, I think. um, I think he's he's still a valuable player. You you see anywhere he goes, and I think he's got that power hitting ability and handy couple of bowling um, options as well. So yeah, probably probably what I'd do obviously is room for flexibility there as well.
2: Well, he also just wins Dan Christian, and I think even if he's not in the starting eleven. the first game just to have him in and around the squad with all his experience and his ability to contribute with bat and ball and fill a role at number seven lower higher he just has that knack of performing well in these t20 tournaments so i think he still wants to play for australia i think it would be absolutely silly for australia to ignore him purely based on his age um another interesting talking point to emerge and we'll talk about some positives from new zealand shortly but um Kyle Jamison he didn't really have a great series particularly after his um IPL payday he was really targeted by the Australian batsman and it was quite breathtaking to see after his um, performance in the home summer
0: yeah it was um, it was pretty interesting actually wasn't it no, I think um, maybe maybe um, maybe they they chose chose to try and put him on the back foot just because of that because of that reason but um you know, as we've seen with with Finch and others, you can always have a down series, but um, you know, class players will bounce back, bounce back quickly. So I think um, I think Jamison's definitely, definitely still a great prospect for New Zealand, and um, and will be able to bounce back quickly. I'd suggest.
2: Certainly, certainly is a fantastic looking prospect, and he's looks the all round package as a cricketer as well. Their superstar at the top of the order, Martin Guptil took a little bit of time to get going, but he built into the series beautifully, um, really got going and smacked some form, as did Devin Conway, who really continued his fantastic New Zealand Super Smash form and was quite amazing in that first game in Christchurch. And while he didn't get the returns he wanted to in the middle games, he really came into his own again, opening the batting with Martin Guptil in that last game and really showed that he's a fantastic prospect for New Zealand and will
0: be a part of that middle order into that T20 World Cup. Yeah, I think he was a great find for him there. And um, as you said, middle order or opening up, he provides a good couple of options. Um, and yeah, just looks a, a really classy, um, elegant player. So yeah, it was that 99 in the first first game was was really good to watch. And um, yeah, there's no doubt it'll be a big part of the team in the in the T20 World Cup. Something
2: about elegant left-handed batsman.
0: Devin yeah, there Conway, is
2: there? mark hussey so many good ones Alistair cook there's so many elegant left-handed batsmen staying in New Zealand and there was a fantastic other series going on the England versus New Zealand series um England had a couple of great wins some really easy wins by the end of it it didn't really look like New Zealand were up to their level which was a real shame but we great we got to see some really good fantastic English cricketers at the top of their game and really performing.
1: Yeah, it was excellent to see. Um, We haven't actually seen much women's cricket, um, obviously, recently due to COVID. um, But I was really excited to go and see England play, like, a full series um, in New Zealand T20 and ODI. Get A lot of players who haven't had um, a lot of cricket in England in an England shirt, regardless of a pandemic, um, get a few fresh faces out there. Um, yeah, it was just really great to see and obviously for them to get both wins in a great fashion as well as an England fan was great. Um, a lot of players went into some great form. So Tammy Beaumont became um, world leading ODI batsman, uh, batter, sorry. Um, in the world which was great she's an excellent opening batsman and has been for so long for England so she definitely deserves the accolade Nat Skiver Skiffer, when she took over from the captaincy from Heather Knight after she um, was ruled out injured she did a great job I thought of capt- captaining the team she'll definitely be probably next captain um, when Heather Knight retires not that that'll probably be for a few years but it'll definitely be she'll be one to look at um, for the future when that call might, might come uh, it's not there was, I wanted maybe in the the last game, there's a few players out there. Um, Izzy Wong, who I mentioned before, um, she's an 18-year-old, um, absolute superstar bowler, um, fast-paced. I thought maybe they'd gone out there, they'd quarantined, they'd been out there for quite a while. I thought maybe on the last game, they'd give maybe a bit of youth a go, uh, because I think that squad actually had the perfect mix of youth and experience. There's some players in there that have been around for a long time, players that had won the World Cup in 2017. And then new players, obviously Sophie Eccleston, she played throughout because she's fantastic. But there was a few other players um, who I thought maybe could have got a go, like Izzy Freya Davis. She um, got her chance to play in England shirt and took four wickets, completely took that opportunity with both hands. So that was really great to see. But yeah, I, I wish they'd have maybe just, Gone, oh, you've come all this way, have have a game. Um, but no, I was really happy with how the series went as an England fan.
2: It was interesting to see how England used Catherine Brunt. She didn't play many games. And uh, as you just alluded to, they were giving a few players a chance, like Freya Davis, who took, took her opportunities with a plump and everything. Is Catherine Brunt, would, would you say that this is the beginning of the end of her long, illustrious career? Playing for the playing for England, or how how much longer do you think she has? Like with the Nasha series coming up at the end of this year in Australia, she'll obviously want to hold it, hold out for that. And with a bit of cricket on the horizon for the England girls as well, but is this the this time where England team management they might be starting to transition someone like Catherine out of the side?
1: Um, I don't necessarily think they'll be thinking of transitioning out because I don't. I think when you have a player. Um, of the accolade i don't think there is the option to transition them out necessarily especially in women's cricket but i think it'll be interesting to see how she goes this year i've heard one thing that she might want the ashes series to be maybe her swan song um and then she will say i'm done um but then maybe she'll want to retire on home soil so it'll be interesting i think i think this series has been and this past year probably has been a bit of a turning point for England cricket um for the women, they Mark Robinson, their head coach when they won the World Cup, um, left. He coaches Warwickshire now and they had a new coach come in. So I think that in itself was a sort of bit of a transition Who and she started to bleed some more new talent, um, as we saw Freya come in and things like that. So I think it, it is a transition and it is maybe moving away from that, not necessarily that experienced squad, but that squad that was settled for a really long time, that brunt era. Um, I think I don't think she can keep going that much longer. so I think that there is going to be that transition now as we see this home 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 summer and then ashes next year and then I think next year we will very much see a new bowling attack really come through for England, especially in years to come. I think there's a lot of exciting talent in the talent pool at the moment.
2: Certainly will be exciting to see them all come through. New Zealand unfortunately, they just left it all to too few and, and with their batting once. Sophie Devine and Amy Satterthwaite got out, it really, well, there wasn't really much left. Amelia Kerr was handy, chipping in, moving up and down the order a little bit really and having to bat long for most of the time. So it was just as much as we love New Zealand and we love the rivalry between Australia, England, New Zealand, unfortunately, again, it just showed that they're, as much as they have quality players in their lineup, they're just a bit off the pace. And particularly with the home T20 and Rose Bowl series coming up against Australia that it's not the ideal preparation for them leading into it.
1: Yeah, no. Um, I did want to see, I wanted to see them fight a bit more. I wanted. I did want to see a contest and unfortunately we just didn't get that. Um, and I think they, they'll be pretty bummed after that series, um, after how it went for them. But yeah, they just, they did just leave it a little too late, unfortunately. Uh, but it would have been nice maybe for them to, I don't want to say like to step up because Obviously, if you, if you don't have the players, then it's it's difficult. But it would have been nice to see a bit more contest between the two teams make for a more or thrilling series for like a neutral, maybe say. Uh, but I can't complain too much, really, can I? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you can't, especially when your team wins. <laughs> Some more fantastic news for England women's cricket is that they're going to be pulling on the Whites later this year with a test match scheduled against india which is fantastic news for england and the women's game in general
1: yeah we've waited a long time for women's test cricket to get the recognition and the fixtures that i think it deserves so it'll be great for probably two of the best nations to play um against each other in a big test match that hopefully will be this is a real chance now for women's cricket to take this opportunity and, like, grab it with both hands and be like, we're going to broadcast it, we're going to stream it, everyone around the world is going to be able to watch it, they're going to have commentators, the best players are going to be there. It's a real opportunity to do something, recreate maybe that World Cup final last year, maybe not with the, the fireworks and the Katy Perry of it all, but something very similar in the way that everyone around the world can watch it and it's it's media coverage in the same way. So, yeah, it's, it'll be a really exciting um, spectacle when the fixtures do come. I think that they're just in the final talks of when... It is going to happen and where it's going to happen. Um, the ECB have said that they'll release everything when they know for certain what's going to happen. Cause I think some of the stuff is a bit up in the air at the moment and I don't think it was um meant to come out that they were playing just yet. Um so yeah, hopefully when we do know exactly what's going on, um, it'll become a bit clearer. But yeah, no, really exciting prospect.
2: It's good to know that someone's been a good journalist and really acted on the scoop there. <laughs> <laughs> um, ret- returning back to Australia, we'll do a quick around the grounds of a Sheffield Shield and the domestic cricket wrap before we get into some more silliness and another great discussion. Um, Will there's a run machine and is coming out of Western Australia. Um, he's not a NRL team based in the um, Australian crack- capital ter- territory, but the Cameron Green machine just. He just keeps on churning them out. He's made another massive double ton in the Sheffield shield this week. Couldn't get WA over the line, but it's just, geez, he's in some imperious, imperious touch.
0: That's, that's really, really exciting to see, isn't it? As an Aussie fan, just a big up and coming youngster. Um, and you're thinking about his batting, he's batting four for WA. Um, and that's not even talking about his bowling, but, um, yeah, I think um, one thing I've I've been thinking about Green is that we we've noticed that he's noticed that he's pretty good. Obviously, made his Test debut earlier in the summer, but this this last kind of week or two is just really I reckon gonna be looked back upon as the, the time where he's announced himself to the Australian um, stage and the international cricket stage as well. So yeah, big um, yeah big excitement to see Cameron Green just pumping out runs.
2: Well, he was billed as the next big thing in Australian cricket earned his debut in the India series. And really we speak about him a lot, how he, he didn't, he didn't set the world on fire, but he gave you a real big taste of just what he could be. And he's gone Has really used this time when the South Africa series was meant to be on to keep making runs at club level at domestic level against some different attacks and he was up at the Gabba this week pl- facing the likes of Jack Mildermouth, Mark, Mark Steckety, who was going to be on the tour with him, Michael Nieser and it's just some fantastic experience for him and you just wait and see for that contest later in the year where he's facing some of the world's best bowlers in Broad and Anderson and Jofra Archer and someone who's really going to, well, really going to be the next big thing In the game of cricket someone else that made a big hundred in that test match and well is probably one of the forgotten men of Australian cricket wheel is Matthew Renshaw is batting in a new position and is starting to make a little bit of an impact in the shield season a couple of hundreds now is well is coming from a long way back but is starting to put his hand up again for one of those places in
0: the middle order it's um it's an interesting one with Renshaw. You he say um, he's the forgotten man and I, I certainly agree with that, but it's still funny to think he's only I think twenty-one years old. Um and and that's that um, hundred he made today was I think it's his eighth first class hundred already. So certainly um certainly got a record behind him to suggest he's he's good enough to to start at international level. But um I think yeah, with, with Renshaw kind of coming back into the fold a little bit, it's um yeah, it's really good to see.
2: Mm. Another notable 100 in this round of Sheffield Shield action. Um, It came off the bat of Curtis Patterson, who registered his, funnily enough, his first 100 since his maiden Test Match 100 against Sri Lanka, which is quite astonishing when when you think of that for a player of his quality to not have played a lot of cricket over time, but to just go that long between breaks. And between hundreds, it's been quite remarkable, and it was fantastic for me, fantastic for me to see him back in the runs again. Alex Carey made another hundred. He's just well, he's certainly next in line for a Test baggy green should the opportunity arise. And another one who's been well, there's been a chorus of calls for this man to really come in and play more Test cricket for his country. But Moses Enriquez is really doing absolutely everything right, is making runs in almost every form of the game at the moment. And, well, Adam Voges 2.0, people have been dubbing it in the Australian media that it could really be his second coming
0: as an international it's, um, cricketer. It's it's great to see um, so many guys scoring runs. And obviously there was debate during the test series um, during the summer that you need... Some first-class cricket running concurrently, so you can can pick blokes in form, and this is this is what happens when there's guys who've got an extended crack at it. So maybe that's some food for thought for future planning for cricket Australia. But yeah, I think um Carey obviously is great to see, as yeah he's widely regarded as the next Test keeper. Um, and Curtis Patterson obviously is a, a, a few uh, past Test player um as well. So um and again Moses Henriques was in the in the squad for South Africa um, so yeah between between those three and a lot of others it's um yeah it's good to see some some good good uh, hundreds coming from the Sheffield
2: shield well as much as we've been getting some fantastic batting performances we're not getting many in terms of results we've had nine draws out of 16 completed shield matches which is a lot and um, don't get me wrong we Want to see some fantastic batsmen in form because we want Australian cricket to be strong, but we don't want to get get to the final in a few weeks in a few weeks time and say, oh well, they've only won a couple of games, but they've just received first innings points and everything this way. So it's going to be very very interesting to see how that all goes. Another very interesting call looms down here in Victoria, will with Glenn Maxwell becoming available for the last few rounds of the shield there's was a bit of back and forth in press and a bit of he said, he said, she said about Maxwell's place in Victorian cricket and how they're going to move past him in Sheffield shield and red ball cricket to make way for the youngsters. But Maxi wants to play test cricket again. What's going to happen here? Do you think that they'll continue picking the youth or if Maxwell wants to play it's a no-brainer that they should at least consider giving Maxwell a game.
0: Yeah, it's it really is interesting, isn't it? I think um, if I was the Victorian selectors, I'd be slotting slotting Maxi straight back in. Um, obviously, they've got got quite a good young um, young crop in the in the Victorian camp, um, and I, but I think um, a, a guy like Maxi who's played so much cricket all around the world and and with cricket in Asia, um, which has been Thus far, is is specialty, um, uh, yeah. When playing for playing Test for Australia, um, I think um, yeah, with that sort of on the horizon or a little bit over the horizon, maybe I think it's um, it's a safe, safe call to, to slot you, him back in. You just want to give him a chance
2: as well, and if he's there and is willing to play cricket, like how good would it be for say a Jake Fraser-McGurk to share the middle order with someone of a someone with the quality and the experience of? Len Maxwell, and it's like okay, yeah, he might not pay off, and he might get bold trying to do something, but it'll be hella entertaining. And in terms of getting ready for um, t- potential uh, test recall or anything on the tours of Asia, co- Asia coming up, India and Pakistan, and even the one I've tested in Afghanistan as well, I'm sure that many opposition team would be um, be quite scared at the prospect of seeing G Maxwell in the starting in the starting 11. Um, I'm sure England wouldn't like to see Glenn Maxwell suit up for the ashes because he has got a pretty formidable record against them.
0: I think you nailed it before um, just about having, having him as an experienced head around the squad. And even if you got got guys that aren't playing, obviously he'd, he'd squeeze out probably a, a younger, less experienced player. Um, they're still going to benefit immensely from, from Maxie being in the, in the squad. So I think um yeah, from from those perspectives, it's it's probably the right choice to make. As an
1: England fan, I don't want to see him in the test side. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to put that out there. He he's so destructive that England don't need any more any more destructive, confident batsmen. We don't need another pant in the side. So if we could not, that'd be
0: great. <laughs>
2: well, well, you guys have Stokes. England, um, England have Stokes. India have Rishabh Pant. Australia needs Maxwell. There it is. Mm.
0: Yeah, that sounds fair.
2: That sounds pretty good.
1: No, no, <laughs> not how I get.
2: Let's move on.
0: <laughs> now, that's the funniest thing I've seen for a long time. Now, how many of you picked this up? I can't believe it, and he can't either.
2: So, um, I, f- I flagged this before, um, during the r- rundown, but I, this might be the last time we actually do this segment. Um, I'm sorry, what? It's when we talk about something that caught our eye this week or made us do a bit of a double take and <laughs> will's making some faces as well because he knows exactly where this is going but we, we've got one real one and then we're gonna um hand it over hand it over to you will to sort of explain a couple of predicaments that you've found yourself in over the couple of week over the last couple of weeks but Unfortunately, here in Australia, this is the real one, ladies and gentlemen, we're still dealing with um, border closures and everything. And with the Australian players coming back from New Zealand and the recent COVID scare over there, Riley Meredith was meant to be suiting up for Tasmania this week against Victoria in the one-day cup match. That it was until basically Cricket Tasmania released a, a statement saying that if Riley Meredith played in this game against Victoria, he wouldn't be able to train to fly to Perth because he's come into contact from someone from New Zealand. So I'm sorry, What Mark McGowan, WA border restrictions? What is going on? You can fly to WA if you've come into contact with someone returning from New Zealand in the street or a cafe or at your home, but you can't actually play a cricket match in WA? Huh?
0: I don't get that. It's all, all a bit of a kerfuffle um, at the moment. It's um it's all about adaptability really between the uh between the uh the states. Um, but yeah, I think cricket, cricket Taz have done the right thing here and just taking him out as a precaution in case anything anything blows up. Obviously, we saw um, Alex Carey and Jack Wildermuth miss a couple of big bash games because of a an outbreak um, in Sydney. But um yeah, I think. I think they've probably made the right choice of that, but still still a pretty, pretty strange situation, isn't it?
2: We're, well, we're just crossing our fingers and toes and hoping that nothing blows up anywhere before the football season goes ahead, Will, because that's the last thing we want is just WA shutting their borders in the middle of footy season and stuffing everything up. Right. We've gotten the business out of the way now. Will can you please explain what happened to you on Sunday? it's not cricket related, but it has to be gone out into the open air.
0: It's a, it's a ripping story this one actually. So, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to, um, to be able to attend the, uh, the preseason AFL match, um, between the GWS giants and Sydney swans, um, at, um, at a stadium there in, in Sydney. Um, and obviously being in Wollongong, um, at the moment, it's only a, a little drive away. So, um, I took, took the trek up there, um, but um, yeah, it was quite an eventful um, series of events, really. So, well, well,
2: well, give give us the nutshell version. How long did it take you to get to the ground, and how long did it take you to actually
0: find your way to where you needed to be? So, yeah, I I I'd, um, I'd assigned assigned it about an hour and fifteen minute drive to to get to. Um, the stadium from home, but I missed the turn off to Sydney, um, which was, which was a great start and ended up putting, How basically to do? Uh, pretty difficult because there's signs everywhere saying Sydney next exit. Um, uh, but to be fair, it was a, it was a right hand turn that I missed. So um, yeah, I ended up going through, through Campbelltown, which is basically added an extra 40, 45 minutes to the, to the trip. Um, and so I, I rolled up and, and got out of my car um, and started walking to the ground with ten minutes to the first bounce, which was not ideal because um, I wanted to be in the in the press box and ready to ready to go by the um, by the time the bounce the first bounce went. Um, but then, even even worse, I got to the ground, asked a few people for directions, in took me took me a fair amount of time to get into the um, into the actual ground um, the the media entry anyway, um, and then I was sent. First, past the players' change rooms. Uh, second, up to a vacant wing of the ground that wasn't obviously wasn't being used. Um, third, back back down across the boundary line onto the field of play, like outside the boundary, obviously. But um, and then back through the first tunnel I went through, and then finally, when, when did you find your way to the box? <laughs> finally, I got my way to the press box. 34 minutes after the first bounce which was exactly when the quarter time siren rang so it was really just a a crazy series of events and um yeah plenty going on there and who were the and who were the heroes of helping you get to where you needed to go well that's a that's another good one so in the in the vacant wing um there's I had to go up an elevator to get there. Um, and there were three floors, no one on any of the floors. So I tried to go back down to the ground floor, but the the elevator wouldn't let me because, um, it needed staff clearance. Um, so I had to get one of the cleaners to come and buzz me in so I could go back down to the, to the ground floor before having a security guard, actually probably in the end, it probably ended up being about four or five security guards, four or five different security guards, um, helping me around. And, um, eventually I got there, but, um, yeah, no, it was all good. Um, got to got to attend the game um, as a as a member of the media, which was a pretty pretty awesome experience. And um, I think that the, uh, the series of events preceding that um, just adds to the adds to the drama. Well, we we were following along with this story live on our
2: group chat, and we were all just doing a bit of double take, going, "I'm sorry, what the hell is going on?" And I've already heard this story once. Today in our pre-show meeting but that, that's just it's an
0: unbelievable story it was yeah it's definitely one that'll be sticking in my memory for a long time and I think I'm um, think I'm gonna when I got a bit of spare time write up write up a bit of a creative account of it and, and send it out on my blog so <laughs> keep an eye out for that one if you're interested
1: that's a great story love that
0: oh uh, it's uh Yeah, just crazy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's that. And, well, we flagged this again off the top of the show, but, Will, there's another one for you as well. Can you please explain your bowling performance in a game last week (laughs) with a ridiculous number of illegal deliveries?
0: Well, first off, I'd just like to clear the air by saying the pitch was way too skinny and there was not enough not enough room before the stump so basically um we're playing on an under 11s width pitch um, with extra crease lines for the under 11s um and I ended up bowling 11 front foot no balls and uh two extra no balls as well um which was yeah not ideal um I felt I felt all right in terms of my line and length but um yeah the the overstepping part certainly wasn't uh, what were the idea. what
2: were the figures at the end of the day?
0: I ended up with uh, one for thirty-four or five overs, um, which yeah wasn't wasn't too pleasing, um, especially since I basically I bowled seven overs worth of deliveries if you include the no balls. So um, yeah, bit of a bit of a mare for me.
2: Well, and I, 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 if you just kept your foot out foot behind the line, you would have gone at a very good econ- economy rate, Jimmy Anderson style.
0: Yeah, well, I, I did try that on the, uh, this Saturday. Um, went one for eight off six over, so it's not all not all bad news. But um, yeah, uh, that'll be that'll be one that lives probably rent free in my head for quite a while. A couple, a what couple. Week of... you've had? Uh, yeah, it's been been hectic here.
2: Uh, it's been hectic in the life of Will Coxon, but it's all good. Um, hopefully that that's definitely one of our best. I'm sorry, what segments? And hopefully, well, I don't know if we'll be able to top that really. Um. let's move on it's now time for the discussion part of this show where we are going to take a chance to sit back and reflect um we're recording this today on the 9th of march it was the 8th of march last year where well it was a pretty magical day down here in australia there was now one year on since the t20 world cup and that t20 world cup final where they played in front of 85,000 plus people at the MCG on a remarkable occasion for not just women's sport but for sport in general and I sent this out in a tweet on on the day on Monday that it started as a pipe dream in a boardroom and to see it come to fruition was absolutely remarkable
1: yeah I it was I mentioned earlier it was the best spectacle I've seen in women's cricket for a very long time um, and it was a long time coming as well I thought um, a lot of people have been saying that this is, this is what should happen um, but there should be more around women's cricket and then for it to actually come to light was really pleasing to see um, unfortunately since then a year on there hasn't actually been much women's cricket for that to carry the momentum on which is a real shame but um, it was just amazing to see I, t- I feel it was a real turning point um, in women's sport and sport in general, to see women on a real big stage in front of a, a packed-out crowd, um, as well. I think the crowd was one of the big things to me. Like in England, you wouldn't you wouldn't get a crowd like that for women's cricket or women's sport, or anything um, bar maybe an Olympic day. Um, so the crowd was probably the best thing. That that's something we haven't yet experienced over here, and I look forward to the day that we can experience something like that. And I look forward to the day that Katy Perry comes and sings as well. <laughs>
2: Certainly was a draw card. But just I wanna I wanna go back on one of your points there that unfortunately due to COVID there hasn't been a great deal of women's cricket played. But I think definitely what that night did and it certainly is the legacy of that night is just what women's sport and particularly women's cricket has the capabilities to do. And we've seen for a long time now Australia really invest in their development pathways and you emily were rattling off names of england women's cricketers who were getting their chance on this new zealand tour as well and it's just because of this and the success of the tournament a year ago it's opened up opportunities in not just the mainstream countries and let's call it the big four countries across um men's and women's cricket but also in the lower nation the lower nations and the associate associate nations you see Pakistan really developing and spending time in their women's system. Thailand were in the World Cup, which was just a real breath of fresh air to see them out playing cricket and just enjoying themselves as well, playing a global game on a global stage and in front of that audience. And it really did breathe some new life into a sport.
1: I think it showed when you invest in a sport, when you put everything that you'd put into the counter um, into the male counter side of the sport that when you give them all them resources, look what it can do when it's covered properly, when it's got the broadcasters, when it's the run up to the tournament is showcased in a way and they've got all of this in place. It just shows what, what it can do. And I absolutely loved seeing them associate nations in there. Like you mentioned Thailand, like that they were, they just look to be playing every game with the biggest smile on their face to be almost in disbelief that they were there. Um, and you said that, opened up opportunities for them associate nations but to me also opened up associate um opened up opportunities to normal people who wouldn't normally get opportunities in women's cricket because there wasn't the opportunity there maybe before a year ago so over here we had a new tournament introduced and that meant that I got being a bit selfish but meant that I got some work as a journalist over the summer uh, to add to my freelance portfolio so it's like little things like that that before I don't think women realized that there was maybe pathways opportunities for them in sport but I think opened up a big a big door to be like no you can do this as a woman like there is a professional sports career out there for you whether it be playing or in the background like either way it did leave a legacy of like this is what we can do give us the chance to do it and it can happen on a lot more regular basis unfortunately like pandemic did strike but I think in years to come we will see the introduction of a lot more events like this because it saw that it was a great way to push women's sport into the forefront
2: and you mentioned that tournament that you were lucky enough to work on and hopefully we'll be lucky enough to work on in t- 2021 but we have the hundred coming in in England for the men and the women and you look through the names of the players that were drafted not only in the not only the local players from England but the overseas players from Australia and New Zealand and and India and around the world of all the players coming together to play these big tournaments and i think now you've seen the success of the WBBL here in Australia is that there, there is a genuine want for people to want to watch women cricket. Like the women's big bash is now standalone. It has its own window. Okay. Yeah. It's at the start of the summer, but there's a genuine appetite for it. and People go and watch it and tune in on TV. And it's a hundred days since the Sydney thunder won the title. And people are still talking about how they did it and the young squad that they had. And now they've got members of that young squad in Hannah Darlington, who's, about to go and represent Australia. And it's um, it's amazing to see the growth and development of this next wave and the younger talent to continue pushing up. Whereas maybe five, six years ago, such pathways wouldn't have existed. And it's a testament to not only Australia, but all the cricketing boards around the world who are continuing to take the time and in investing in women's cricket. And it's unfortunate because there's meant to be a 50 over World Cup on at the moment in New Zealand, unfortunately. Thankfully, we've got some women's cricket just played, and we've got the Australian New Zealand series to look forward to. And we've got India and South Africa playing now, which is which overnight you keep seeing superstars and brand new superstars of the game, like Laura Wolfart, continue to make a name for herself on such a global sport.
1: Yeah, and it's just all all of them different opportunities are all going to come together in the next few years to put women's cricket on the map. And you're going to see a lot more players come through and them to be given all their chances. And hopefully one day it can be the same as the men where they have the World eleven, like the Best Women's Test eleven, Best Women's ODI eleven, Best T20 11. all these are the ICC awards that come at the end of the year. They'll be having the same as the men because they'll be the players now um, to pick from that are all performing I think um, maybe six seven years ago when some of the nations weren't up to the same standard as the other nations it was really difficult to actually say that women's cricket was on a worldwide stage because although some nations did play against each other it wasn't all very inclusive and global there was definitely a big four um, but now I think there's a lot more nations coming through and a lot more girls that are going to prove themselves to be superstars and that's really exciting for the next couple of years
2: certainly is Uh, will in Australia cricket Australia have announced that there's going to be um a couple of women's cricketers statues going up at their CG um I'm gonna put you on the spot here just quick thinking who do you who do you think should get them
0: I think um have they announced one or two at the SCG, did you say?
2: I, th- I think it's two. I think they said oh. two, but it's definitely going to be one. Yeah. Um. And just on a side note, I hope they put this out on like the general concourse and they don't bury it out in some SCG trust area for only members yeah. to see. I hope it's out in the general public putting it on display and there's some fantastic Australian women's, cric- women's cricketers who should certainly get the nod.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the one that probably first comes to mind is Belinda Clark, sort of widely regarded as one of the one of the sort of pioneers of um, contemporary women's cricket. Um, and obviously, they've got the the Belinda Clark Award, um, which is the mm-hmm. you know the, the best female um, cricketer um, of the of the year in Australia. And I think um, I think that'd be a great um, great pick as well. But I have seen a couple of suggestions. I think this would be great as well um, to have one of Betty Wilson, who's obviously probably regarded as the pioneer of, um, of women's cricket as well so whether that that be at the scg or in in her home home uh, uh city of melbourne that yeah that would be great as well
2: yeah certainly would be well we wait to see what cricket australia will do with that let's finish off with a few of these So some quick singles to end off the show. Will, where does Josh Philippe bat at the T20 World Cup for Australia?
0: I think he's got to about top three, doesn't he? We've seen that's where he, that's where he's batted in the um, in the in the big bash, um, and even just in this recent T20 series as well. So I think either opening or at number three. Um, although it wouldn't surprise me if they choose to sort of put him a little bit further down the order to. Provide a bit of flexibility and maybe use him as a finisher, but I think if um if they're going, I think the right right spot to put him would be yeah in the top three. Emily, uh, as our resident pom, um, do you think uh, James Anderson and Stuart Broad will, will both fly out to Australia um, on the first plane uh, for the Ashes?
1: Yeah, that they have to. I I don't see, and I don't see a squad that named one of them to come out later. I think especially in an Ashes tournament, you, you go and you, you set the tone straight away in the first test. It's no good taking one of them and being like, oh shoot, Broad's going to come back and they can bowl in tandem in the third test. Like, no, they, they have to be on the first plane together. And if they're not, there'll be some very, very big questions about squad selection, things like that, because you don't want to be going, like I said, into the third test, being like, it's OK, because Broad is coming back. Um, then, then then they can bowl together. No, you take your best eleven for the first test match. If they need a rest, they need a rest, but that can come, that can come later. But first test match, your best eleven plays. Jono, who will take the gloves for Australia at the T Twenty World Cup?
2: I think it's going to be Josh Philippi. As as much as Matthew Wade's done a fantastic job recently in New Zealand and he even captain the side in the Australian summer when Finchy missed the game, I think they're leaning towards Philippi to take the gloves. And I think he offers a lot more and that way you can have more flexibility around that batting order as well. And you can't, well, you can't really waste Matthew Wade in the batting order. Whereas you can slip Josh Philippi into the top three, as Will said that, and you can have him there and he'll make a difference and he'll, he can contribute both there, both there with the bat and behind the stumps with the gloves. I think he got a little bit lost in the outfield in New Zealand. So Will be nice to see him. Um, Emily, another one for you who's going to open the batting for England in the first test of the English summer?
1: That's a really difficult question. Um, in my opinion, it will be I think Crawley and Sibley. Um, I think Burns isn't in the best form at the moment. Um, I think he probably will get a chance as the summer goes on if they're on about this rotation thing carrying on. So, I think you think he will. Burns will get his chance, but for me, calling Sibley, um, Sibley in English conditions is much better than Indian conditions. Do not take what you've just seen um, as his form at the moment. He's much better in English, English conditions and Crawley's just one of England's most exciting prospects at the moment in Test cricket. Will, if you had to choose, who would you have wicket keep for your life?
0: It's hmm. a good question, actually. This is a, It seems to be one that's um, a lot of discussion about who's the, who's the best... Got the best glove work, but um, I think if I was picking, I'd be having Sarah Taylor, uh, former England, um, England keeper bat- batter, um, just I'm probably. So happy the, you said that. Some of the clean, <laughs> some of the cleanest glove work you'll you'll ever see. Um, and just like so, yeah, insane to watch the the keeping highlight reel. Now, um, Jono, based on uh, the strange T20 out of um, the West Indies or Sri Lanka um, earlier in the week, would you rather take a hat trick? or hit six sixes in and over? This is interesting. This is um,
2: oh, this is a very, very interesting question. Now, a- as a bowler, of course, I'd like to say I love to take a hat trick. But being a bowler, I don't get to bat very often. And when I do bat, I rarely connect with one. So to be able to hit six sixes in and over, i will taking that every day of the week instead of a hat trick. And there's not many players who've been able to do that. So of course i'm gonna have a look at that one if i get an opportunity will um this is a this is a funny question we've seen obviously in the sport that we love afl some famous um families and father-son combinations who's some of the most famous and favorite father-son cricketing combinations that they've been
0: well that's a good question actually um yeah, put, really put me on the spot. I think uh, probably the most well-known you'd have to say at the moment would be, be the Marshes. Um, obviously, uh, Jeff Marsh and then Mitch and Sean as well, probably the most most well-known at the moment. Um, but uh, maybe another one, maybe an upcoming one, maybe would be Craig and Ben McDermott as well. You've seen seen a few, few kind of father-son players rising up through the ranks in, in Aussie cricket. But yeah, they're probably two of the notable ones, I reckon. Now, Jono, it was probably one of the talking points of the big bash season. Um, and I, I feel like I brought this up way back at the start of the season. But do you think we might see um, the power surge at the T20 World Cup?
2: I don't think we'll see it
0: at this one.
2: But if I'm... A, if I, and, I'm not, and I'm not really a betting man. But I think there is a chance that we might see the power surge be bought into T20 cricket somewhere down the line. I think as much as Big Bash tried to get funky this year and tinker with the game and the new rules, some, some of it worked. Like we don't think the X factor sub really worked. And as much as the bash boost point, well, it had all the right intentions, but come the last game of the season really did fizzle out and turn that last game into a bit of a farce. But I really think that this power surge has a bit of merit and we've seen or a couple of articles that came out during the week that it is being looked at by other leagues around the world and their MCC are looking at it to maybe introduce it as a law into cricket. Um, Now, Will, to finish off, we've been going down a bit of a rabbit hole and putting cricketers into our favourite reality TV shows in, in recent weeks. Which cricketer, past or present, would have the best chance of
0: being crowned sole survivor. This is a good one, actually. I like this. Um, I'll, I'll go one, one from each, one from past, one from present. I'll, I'll um, keep with the, with the Aussie uh, Aussie theme, but I think um, as a past cricketer, it's pretty hard to go past um, Dean Jones. Obviously, he's pretty well known for that at innings in um, in Chennai. Um, all those years ago. And um, yeah, that just shows his determination and, you know, will, will to keep going. So I think he'd be, he'd be a safe pick, but maybe someone a bit more recent um, would be, well oh, this is a past cricketer as well, but um, Shane Watson, I think um, all the, all the attributes, I think uh, comes to mind the, um, the spell that Wahab Riaz bowled to him in the, in the world cup. He just is uh, under pressure and, and kept going. So I think uh, Watto would be a good pick for that as well.
2: As much as I love Shane Watson, I can't see him going anywhere without a mirror. And <laughs> as much as I think he'd do a fantastic job, I, if there's no mirror, I don't know if um I don't know if um Shane Watson would be doing too well out there on the island. But I think he nailed it as well with Dino, just someone who could really set his mind to something and really do whatever he said he was gonna do. I mean, the guy, the guy did so many fantastic things. On the cricket field and off the cricket field, we we really do miss him. And I think it's a perfect opportunity to pay homage to him to say, I think, to say he'd be crowned sole survivor. Um, That's going to bring this edition of Over and Stumps to an end. It's been a fantastic jam-packed podcast. Emily, thanks so much for joining us. We'll let you get back to uni work.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: <laughs> Will, great to chat with you again, mate. Hopefully you don't get any lost. So hopefully
0: you don't get lost in um, any football stadiums this week. I don't think there's any footy games for me to go to, to get lost in. So I think I'll be safe on that front, but uh, it's been good to join you guys again. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> a map. Yes. That's not a bad idea either.
2: <laughs> take a map. Take note. Um, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you like what we do here, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at over and stumps. Stay tuned for lots of fantastic things coming your way and plenty of fantastic content on the inner sanctum website and the inner sanctum network that is www.theinnersanctum.com.au you can follow us on twitter you can follow us on instagram you can see everything that we do and if you want to support the show in any way shape or form hit us up we'd love to chat with you thanks so much for listening and for another week that is over and stumps